We're beginning a new series today. We're just simply calling this Gather. It's based on what we began looking at last month as we're laying out a, uh, a fresh vision for our church. Not a, not a new vision, just packaged in a little bit different way, but the idea that we as a church exist to glorify God in the making of disciples. Disciples are those who, who gather together for the purpose of worship. What we are doing right here this morning is a part of our purpose as a body gathering here to worship Christ. Disciples are those who grow together in the Word of Christ. That's why we do Sunday school and small group and we get together around the Word of God and encourage one another and build one another up through those experiences. Disciples are also those, we've said, who go together as witnesses for Christ. That the Christian life is not a me-centered mentality, but it's fleshed out as I share Christ with others and, and share His gospel We'll come back to that before we finish this morning, but we're going to focus in over the next six weeks on what we do here in our worship gatherings. I think we take a lot of things for granted, and when we begin to take things for granted, they begin to lose their, their power in our lives. And so what we're going to ask over the next few weeks is, why in the world do we do what we do here on Sunday mornings in our worship services? Now, some of these things may just seem really obvious because that's just what we do, right? But we want to drive ourselves back into the scriptures to ask things like this. This morning, we're going to talk about singing. In fact, today's message is called, We Gather to Sing. We're going to ask this morning, why do we sing in church? And even maybe more importantly, what should we be singing in church? It's going to be today. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, we gather to preach. Why is preaching central to the gathering together of Christ's body, the church? We're, the week after that, we're going to talk about we gather to pray. We can all go into our prayer closets individually and pray to the Lord. So why do we need to gather together and do what Matt just led us in, praying together as the people of God. We're going to talk about we gather to give the week after that. Why do we come together and to give of our tithes and our offerings and, and give of our, our talents and our gifts as, as an offering back to the Lord? Why is that part of what we do on Sunday morning? And then we'll talk about a couple more things. We gather for baptism and we gather for the Lord's Supper. And that'll take us all the way up to Easter, which is April 1st this year. So this morning we gather to sing here in Ephesians 5 what Matt just just read for us here. And, and as we get into this this morning, uh, we see some specific instructions given here in, in this uh, very application-oriented portion of the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are very doctrinal, meaning this is what we're supposed to believe as Christians and the last three chapters are very uh, much about our, the application of that. What are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to behave as believers? And so what he's instructing us here in these verses uh, has to do with our singing. But he's really doing that in the context of answering a much more important question uh, than just our singing. Though we're going to get to that. The main question that Paul is answering right here is this what does it look like to be filled with the holy spirit his primary command here that we saw there in verse 18 
Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That's not the way to live. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's making a comparison here between those whose lives are controlled by alcohol and those whose lives are controlled by the Holy Spirit. To be filled with means to be controlled by. If someone is filled with anger or filled with rage, that means they're controlled by their anger, by their rage. If someone is filled with envy, that means that they're controlled by their jealousy. And we could go on and on and on with the things that folks might be filled with, but that which fills you controls you. And so the Apostle Paul gives us this command, not suggestion, this command, be filled with the Spirit of God. And so what does that look like? Is that just some kind of crazy, ecstatic experience where weird things happen and I have dreams and visions, and maybe I speak in tongues, weird stuff going on? Is that what it means to be filled with the Spirit? No. The Apostle Paul here gives four indicators that teach us what it looks like to be filled with with the Spirit, to walk in this command that the Spirit of God have lordship and leadership in my life. So let's look at those together this morning. The first one in verse, the first part of verse 19 says that being filled with the Spirit means that we speak songs to one another. Now I know that sounds strange, but look what he says there at the beginning of verse 19. Be filled with the Spirit. How? addressing one another or speaking to one another is the idea in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now that's a little weird, right? Do we speak in songs to one another? I mean, wouldn't that be strange? You come in in the morning, how are you, brother? <laughs> Just fine, my friend. You know, that'd be kind of weird, right? That's, a, that's an odd thing for us to do. And that's not the point. The point is that Paul's saying that, that we are given songs as a way of investing in our one another relationships. Now here, here's the point. For those who are given uh, musical abilities, you don't have to come to this place to exercise those. I can sit at my, home, my house and pluck away on my guitar and sing songs to Jesus all day long, but something different and magnificent and higher than that happens when the people of God come together and sing. So what is that? What is happening in the one another relationships? First of all, we are encouraging one another in our singing. That's what's happening. I hope this morning as we were singing, come behold the wondrous mystery. You may not understand all that that song is saying, but that is one of my new favorite songs because it is laying out the gospel in powerful words. Come and see what Christ has done. That's what we're singing. And I hope that we're able to sing that out and it's encouraging to one another as we sing that out. Even those of us that can't sing that well, even those of us that are a little bit off tune, or a little bit off rhythm, that, that we have this ability to be able to encourage one another in our singing. And it's, it's very biblical. Hebrews chapter 10 says, So let us consider how we might stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as
as is the habit of some, but rather encouraging one another and all the more in increasing measure as you look toward and long for the day of Christ's return. It's powerful, isn't it? We go back to the first the, the, uh, verse 24 and you see he's saying, let us meditate on this. Let's think deeply about this. Let's consider intently how we might stir one another up to love and good works and how we might encourage one another. And I'm telling you this morning, one of the ways that we encourage one another when we come together in these worship gatherings is we encourage one another through our singing. And let me just tell you, the Bible encourages time and time again that singing be loud. So for those who would kind of be shy about that, or for those who would say, well, the music was a little too loud for my liking this morning, let me point you to what the Scriptures indicate about that. You never once see an indication in Scripture that we are to sing quietly. It's always loud. And it's with clanging cymbals and gongs and loud instruments. This is the way that God desires to be worshipped. Now, does it always have to be at 100 plus decibels? It doesn't have to be. But God himself has said, I enjoy loud singing, so don't hold back even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket. Sing to him. The heart that has been captured by Christ will erupt in song. It's just the reality. Whether you're a musical person that grew up in a musical home or not, how can I keep from singing? We sing that around here sometimes, don't we? Because of his grace. So we encourage one another, but we also, in our singing, we exhort one another, we challenge one another, we admonish one another, we spur one another on, as we just saw in Hebrews chapter 10, with this reminder that our singing is not just meant to be encouraging, it's also meant to challenge us. So this morning, as we sang that new song, Heal Our Land, we are encouraged to pray for our nation. As we sing that God's name would be proclaimed among the nations, we're reminded of the great commission that we have been given. As we sing, Lord, speak through your word, we're reminded that the word of God is powerful for the transformation of our lives. This is not alternative equipment in the Christian life. This is is something that we require that should be at the very center of our life and and reveals our God-given purpose. And we exhort one another in these things. Our songs ought to be uh, that which could challenge us to walk with Christ more closely and to love Him more dearly. In a parallel passage over in Colossians chapter 3, parallel to Ephesians 5, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all Wisdom, one of the ways that the word of Christ begins to dwell richly in us is through our songs. We encourage and exhort and admonish and spur one another on through our singing. It's one reason why we sing. But we don't, don't just speak songs to one another. It's not just about us. Ultimately, we, the second point seems almost as if you wouldn't even have to say this, and yet he does. We sing songs to the Lord. And some in the room might go, well, duh, that's what we're here for, right? We come together, we sing songs to the Lord, but look at how he says for us to do that. 
addressing one another's psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord. How? With all your heart. Not holding back. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so a heart that is in love with Jesus cannot help but belting out his praise. So what does this look like? We sing songs to the Lord, and the first thing I would say is that it has to involve us engaging our heads. Now, I'm not talking about nod your head to the beat of the music, but I'm talking about engaging our minds. Sometimes we check our brains at the door when we come into church, and I want to encourage you not to do that. Allow the songs that are being sung, perhaps as we sang that song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery this morning, you're going, I don't know exactly what all that's talking about. It ought to spur us on to find out. Because our songs ought to be driving us back to the Scriptures. I, I can remember an illustration of this. And when I was growing up, we, we sang often a song that we're actually going to sing next Sunday, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. How many of you have heard that song before? All right, if you've been around the church very long, you've heard Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But there was a line in that song that when I was a kid, I always found it odd. And it says, Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. Well, the only thing I knew about an Ebenezer as a kid was Ebenezer Scrooge from The Christmas Carol. And I had this weird picture in my mind of us raising up Ebenezer Scrooge as some kind of a strange example. I didn't know what this was about until I became a teenager and I got bold enough to actually ask questions. What in the world is this here I raise my Ebenezer about that we sing so often? And a youth leader wisely pointed me to the Old Testament scriptures where it talks about the Ebenezer, and it's a beautiful picture. You see, the Ebenezer was a stone of remembering. When the Israelites crossed over the Jordan River and into the Promised Land, they set up an Ebenezer, a stone of remembering, an altar to God, a reminder, a monument to the great things that God had done for them over their last 40 years in the wilderness. The Ebenezer is a stone of remembering of the great and wonderful things that God has done. And so when we sing, here I raise mine Ebenezer, what we're saying is, I want to set up a stone of remembering remembering of praise to God for all the glorious and grand and gracious things that he has done in my life. Isn't that beautiful and powerful? But see, I never would have gotten that if it had not been for that song and someone encouraging me to look it up in the scriptures. We need to engage our minds in our worship, folks. Don't just mindlessly sing songs. Ask are those songs scriptural? Is that teaching me biblical truths about God? And by the way, I want to encourage you, and some of you have done this in the past, and I want to encourage you to continue to do it all the more. If you ever find us singing something that you wonder, is that really biblical? Please come and talk to me. Please come and talk to grant our worship leader because we want the songs that we sing to be above all biblical, even before they're musical. We, we want them to be scriptural before they're even singable. And so we engage our heads. But I, but I want to invite Grant to come and join me for a minute. We're going to do a little back and forth here about beyond that, how do we choose 
what songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Now, you may just think, well, all the songs we sing are just the ones Grant likes. You may think that. Just the ones he felt like doing this week. Just spur of the moment, he threw a few songs together, and off we go, right? Well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And then the Lord has blessed our church in this way that we have developed over the last few years a wonderful partnership in being able to prepare the song service together as pastor and worship leader. I think this is biblical. I think this should happen in every church. I'm not saying that we get this perfect. I'm just saying this is one thing that we're getting right in these days and God is growing us in. And I wanted him to be able to share with you a little bit about how do we choose the songs that we sing and how does this worship gathering uh, come together on Sunday mornings? So how do we choose what we sing? We meet together usually once a week if possible and uh, just to talk about this service. And for me, that's one of the most important things that our church does is our meeting together. Not that it's some big meeting or a great thing that's but it's if if you just walk in here if you don't have any kids if you don't know any deacons or any, you will see me with some group of people with me and you will see Andrew every Sunday and so for us to be together and united in that and planning that and planning our services that's where it starts so we meet once a week and what we do is we will Go to the scriptures. At Corinth, we believe that the word of God is God's revelation to mankind, that it is the only revelation to mankind. So anything apart from that, if, you know, if somebody comes and says, God told me this, well, um, let's check the scriptures and see if that aligns with what the scriptures say because I know that that is the word. And so... We go into what what he's going to be preaching on, and um, if we have songs that fit that, it's easy to find contemporary worship songs about singing. So today we did worship songs about singing. If we, if we find songs that fit that, then then we'll try to pick songs that scripturally line up with whatever text he's reading or whatever theme he is preaching on, based on. The scripture, and sometimes you know, there's not a lot of songs on cohabitation, and there's not a lot of songs on. <laughs> if he comes on to that, that those kinds of things, then uh, we don't have songs picked for a theme. And so, what we will do in that case is uh, we look at at singing as much, engaging our heads as a time of teaching as well. And so, we will pick songs based on the gospel story, that, that we will pick a set list based on God is holy, God is our creator, he is over all things, he is in control of all things, he is God and he is almighty, we are sinners and we have turned against him to our own ways and because of that we are doomed for hell, but God being rich and steadfast love sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and because of his death, burial, and resurrection, conquering death, we now have life in him. And so that will be our songs. If we, we will pick a song that talks about God's holiness. We will pick a song that talks about how God is merciful to sinners, how God sent his son. We will pick songs about the cross. We will pick songs about what we do in response to that. And uh, so those are kind of the ways that we plan our set lists.
um, regardless of hymns or contemporary or whatever. That's that's how we pick them. So that's that's it. Now, Grant, we uh, before you go away, I, I told him the first question. I'm going to follow up with one though. About once a month, we will introduce a a new song. Some of you may have caught that rhythm. We're trying to introduce a new song. In fact, at least nine times in the scripture, we sing the command, sing to the Lord a new song. So we think, well, we ought to do that every once in a while. So about once a month, we'll introduce a new song. But Grant, talk to us just a minute about how do we choose? There's a lot of new songs out there. There's tons of songwriters, tons of new stuff being produced all the time. How do we choose new songs to present to the congregation? Uh, We will usually choose songs... Andrew in his studying sometimes will send me a text of, hey, I think this song would be a great song. And he loves worship music and he listens to worship music and as much as we do. And so he will, he will say, hey, how about this song? Or we will look at whatever scripture, maybe we're coming up on a series together. And uh, like this series, we're gathering together, growing in the word and going for Christ. So we Heal Our Land, picked Heal Our Land this month as kind of our series theme because Mm. it is talking about God breathing His Spirit on His church and pouring out His presence to them and speaking through His Word to them and praying in every nation that Christ be known. That chorus Mm. follows what we are trying to teach throughout our series. And so a lot of times when we introduce a new song for the month, that song will be featured every Sunday in our set list because that is what is going along with the theme of our series together and so that sometimes that'll come from from Andrew uh, studying and and then listening to music and saying this is something he's had on his mind to go with his sermons or sometimes that'll come from uh, wanting to introduce something maybe old even sometimes we do hymns for a new song of the month just because that that fits what we are trying to convey for that series or that those set of sermons, but that's good. kind of how we do that. So. so it's more than just our new favorite song, it's right? It's more than our new All favorite right. song. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Give him a hand as he sits back down. <laughs> what we're trying to communicate to you is that that our singing needs to be spurred on and, and informed by the Word of God. When Grant and I sit down each week to prepare, and usually we prepare these services about a month in advance. We can't always do that, but we try to make that our aim, that we're not just waiting until the, the week of. But as we prepare, the first thing that we'll do as we sit down is we will read the text that we're going to be preaching that week, and we'll just begin to ask, what songs would best reinforce what God's Word is saying? In a lot of churches, there's a disconnect between the song service and, and, and the preaching. And to the point where folks will say, Well, wasn't it cool that that song actually went along with the message today? And pastorally, I'm going, Duh, that ought to be happening every week. There ought to be songs that reinforce what the Word of God is saying to the church by His Spirit. And that's our aim and our goal. And so, um, thankful for our my brother Grant, and the ability to, to come alongside with him and, and lead in that way. So we sing songs to the Lord engaging our heads, also engaging our hearts. Just like he references here, singing and making melody with the Lord with all of our hearts. 
that our affections for Christ ought to be spurred by our singing. We ought to walk out of this room every week loving Jesus more than when we came in. And if that's not happening, one of two things is the problem. Either we've got the wrong songs or we've got the wrong heart. And I hope we've got the right songs. And by the right songs, again, I'm not talking about stylistically here. You will not find reference to style in terms of music in the scriptures. But what you will find is that these songs are scriptural. That they are speaking about who God is and what he has done for us. You will hear the Apostle Paul says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And the idea is not that this is an exhaustive list of the type of music that we should use. The idea is there's all kinds of different songs that can be used in the church. Hymns are wonderful. Modern worship songs are wonderful so much as, as far as that they convey the truth of Scripture to our hearts. Now, we don't want to sing songs that, that could just as easily... We don't want to sing songs to Jesus that we could just as easily speak to our spouse, sing to our spouse or our significant other. Okay, we don't need Jesus is my boyfriend worship songs here in church. We need songs that say something. Songs that say something scriptural that reinforce in our minds and our hearts who this God is and how he has revealed himself. Colossians 3.16 encourages us once again singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. That theme of thankfulness is where the Apostle Paul goes in the very next verse. Another part of us being filled with the Spirit is that we say thanks to the Lord. I would say that the, the primary attitude of the, uh, the primary heart attitude of the worshiper should be one of intense thankfulness to God. Now, primarily when we praise God, we are praising Him for who He is. We are praising Him for His holiness. We are praising Him for being our Creator. We are praising Him for being just and merciful. We, we are praising Him for who He is and His attributes. That's what praise is, is generally about. But thanksgiving is primarily about thanking God for what He does. And by the way, everything that God does flows out of who God is. I hope you're making that connection because that's so key to the Christian life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that you do will ultimately flow out of who you are in Christ or your rejection of that if you continue to walk in sin. See, we sometimes get it backwards. We, we think, well, I'll become this, that, and the other by doing this, that, and the other. But that's, that's backwards. It's first about becoming the person that God intends for us to be. And out of that flows the doing. That's how God himself is. And so we see here, giving thanks to the Lord. How are we to give thanks to the Lord? Well, he says, in every time, at every time, there's an opportunity for thankfulness. I don't know what your week has been like this week. Maybe you're just recovering from the sickbed. Uh, maybe you've gone through just a disastrous week, and you say, what reason do I have for giving thanks today? We could go very baseline and say, well, your heart's still beating in your chest. 
your lungs are continuing to inflate with air. You were able to rise up and get out of bed and come to this place this morning. Brain waves, though they may be limited, continue to move through your mind. I'm going real baseline, aren't I? In Him we live and move and have our being. That's the reason for thankfulness. But even more than that, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have great reason for thankfulness when we look to the cross of Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. The avenue for our thankfulness is what Christ has done at the cross. If everything else in your life is falling apart and you have salvation by His blood poured out at the cross for you, let all of the rest of it fall apart and give thanks to Him because you have that which will outlive this world. And so at every time you have reason for thankfulness. But we're not, we're not encouraging here. The Apostle Paul is not encouraging us in, in some kind of just power of positive thinking. Well, if you'll just be thankful, then things will go well with you. Your circumstances will turn. That's not what he's saying here. There are horrible circumstances in, in life that can bring us down. But even in the midst of those, there are reasons for thankfulness. Kent Hughes said it this way. He said, we're to thank God in the midst of difficulties for everything which is consistent with His fatherhood and His loving Son. Just take that in for a moment. In the worst of days... We can give thanks to God for who He is and what He has done for us in Christ. The fullness of the Spirit rules out a grumbling, complaining, negative, sour spirit. No one can be spirit-filled and traffic in these things. I think He hits it right on the head. The Bible says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And as we draw together in a spirit of thankfulness in these worship gatherings, as we sing songs of praise and thanks to our God and to His Son, Jesus Christ, for all that they have done for us, our hearts are conformed to His. And once again, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and sings. We give thanks to the Lord at every time, and we give thanks to the Lord for every Thing. Every good and perfect gift comes to us from our God. We have so much to be thankful for, even in the darkest of days. And here's what will happen. As you begin to walk in thankfulness before God, as you begin to express thankfulness to God in the most difficult of circumstances, your circumstances may not change. This is no health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that if you rub God the right way, He'll give you everything you want. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying this morning. Your circumstances may not change, but your attitude toward those circumstances most certainly will. And that's where it matters. That in thankfulness to God, you can express to Him, even in the darkest of days, thankfulness for the fact that He has given you life and that He has given you new life in Christ if you belong to Him. And so whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do, what's left out there? Nothing. It's everything is an opportunity for thankfulness, and that will change the way. It won't necessarily change our circumstances, but it will certainly change the way we see them. And finally, what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? 
we find ourselves submitting thankfully to one another. I want, I want you to see something masterful that the Spirit of God empowered the Apostle Paul to do right here in these few verses. Do, do you remember Jesus' great commandment? We talked about it a few weeks ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That, that, that this is primary for us as believers. Loving God and loving one another is, is a primary command of God for us. And look what the Apostle Paul says here about this command of being filled with the Spirit. He has given to us four indicators that we are being filled with the Spirit. And what you'll notice is this. The first one and the last one have to do with the horizontal relationships with one another. The second one and the third one, the ones in the center, have to do with that vertical relationship with God. So it's addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's, it's singing and making melody in our, in our hearts to God. It's giving thanks to God, and it's submitting to one another. Do you see the connection? Once again, we see this connection between our loving God and our loving one another, an inseparable duo they are. And we see this laid out in these scriptures as he gives us these encouragements about what it looks like when we are filled with the Spirit. So we submit thankfully to one another. When we do that, we are establishing the gospel. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, he says we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? Jesus is the basis for our submission. By the way, submission could be looked at as an ugly word. It's a beautiful word that references a, a rightful ordering of things. Our God is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order. And, and the idea of submission means a rightful ordering. It's a, it's a military term that someone will submit to someone of a higher rank than them. Now, does that mean that the general is inherently more worthy as a person than the private. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means they have different roles. Later in this chapter, it's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands out of your love for Christ. Does that mean that the wife is of lower worth than the husband? No, it means that they are equal in worth before God. Both, go back to Genesis 1.27, both created in the image of God, male and female. He created them, created us to display His glory. But we will do that in radically different ways. That's why our culture is so messed up right now and trying to tear, tear down all the gender differences. They, they, our culture doesn't understand that difference does not imply a difference in worth. Difference in role does not imply a difference in worth. Both men and women created to display the glory of God in radically different ways. And men in this room, I hope you can affirm with me, I am thankful that my wife displays the glory of God in some ways that I cannot. And maybe someday she's thankful for the same in my direction. But we're establishing the gospel, the gospel is this, that the king of glory, the perfect son of God, stepped off of his throne in heaven and submitted himself to life in this sin-soaked earth. And he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He did it on our behalf. 
And he died the sinner's death that should have been ours, submitting to the agony and the humiliation of the cross. And yes, the rest of the story that now he has exalted the name above all names, the only name given under heaven by which we might be saved. He is the king of glory. But don't forget that in order for him to rightfully wear the crown for eternity, he took the cross for us. Our singing ought to establish both of those truths. As we sang that, come behold the wondrous mystery this morning, we sang of his death on the cross, but we also sang of his resurrection. The gospel is a story of God's submission on our behalf to that which he should not have had to submit himself to. He took our death so that we could have life. He took the pain and the suffering in the grave that belonged to us so that we could fully demonstrate his glory to a lost and dying world and be rescued by his grace and for his glory. And so our submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is just simply our recognition of the gospel. Our world doesn't get it. Our world doesn't understand this, but when they see it rightfully displayed, it's a beautiful thing. I'm going to shift gears just for a second. I want to share with you about uh, a gentleman named Isaac Watts. I've grown up in this uh, season of the church that we've talked a lot since the uh, early 90s of this thing called Worship Wars. Traditional versus contemporary, hymns versus praise songs. There's all this back and forth about styles of worship. And let me just say very boldly this morning, I don't think God cares one bit about this discussion that has occupied so much of the church. But it's nothing new. Isaac Watts, back in the late 16, early 1700s, he had a special gift from God in, in uh, the ability to put verses together in a rhythmic and, and, and rhyming way. As a young kid, uh, one time they were having family devotions, and his father noticed that Isaac wasn't bowing his head in prayer. He was looking around during prayer. Your parents, you've had this moment before maybe. He was looking around in prayer, and his father called him out on it and said, Hey, boy, what are you doing? We're supposed to be praying right now. And Isaac Watts responded this way. He said, A little mouse, for want of stairs, ran up a rope to say its prayers. Strange little rhyme, but his father thought he was being a little cheeky, a little smart-mouthed. And so he began to correct that, as good parents will do. And as uh, he was having his hide tanned, he yelled this out to his father. Oh, father, father, pity take, and I will no more verses make. <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't keep that promise. Wrote over 750 hymns, some that we know. If you've ever sing Joy to the World at Christmas time, that's an Isaac Watts hymn. As we sing the wonderful cross, it's Chris Tomlin's a revision of when I survey the wondrous cross. That's an Isaac Watts hymn. We sing, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. It may, you may also know that one as At the Cross. That's an Isaac Watts. 750 plus hymns that he wrote. But here's what inspired him as a teenager. He was going to church, 
And in those days, singing in the church was primarily just singing the Psalms. If you open your Bible in the middle there, you'll probably come to the book of Psalms. 150 Psalms there. And in the days when Isaac Watts was growing up in the church, they primarily sang just the Psalms. That's not wrong. Paul says Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? So the psalms are included there, but they were just singing the psalms in those days. And he was walking home with his dad from church one day, and he said, Dad, church was really boring today. Not a new problem once again, okay? Church was really boring, and and his dad said, What do you mean? What What was so boring? And he said, It's these psalms. They're so lifeless. They, 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 the melodies are so boring, and it, they don't really fit with the words very well, and it's just really bad. And his dad said, well, son, if you think you can do better, why don't you go for it? And that spurred him on to begin writing hymns. I'd love to tell you that his hymns were just majorly embraced and everybody loved his hymns. No, it was the worship wars of the early 1700s. As he began to write these hymns and he became a pastor, began using some of these hymns in his church, it set off a wildfire of controversy. People despised his hymns. In fact, some even wrote to the, the newspaper and, and said of him, they said, who does he think he is? Does he think he's better than King David, the writer of most of the Psalms in our scriptures? Who does this guy think he is? Does he think that his hymns are better than the scriptures we've been singing all these years? He wasn't coming at this pridefully to say, I can do something better than what we find In the scripture, he was just seeking to write songs that would amplify what we see in the scriptures. Here's what he recognized. If you just sing the Psalms, you never sing about Jesus. If you just sing the Psalms, you'll never sing about the cross and his resurrection. If you just sing the Psalms, you will never sing the gospel. And Isaac Watts said, I think God has called us to more. I think he recognized it was Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and what he recognized was it's not uh, about style it's about is it scriptural it's not about is it the kind of music that i like but will it spur on my adoration of christ as we submit thankfully to one another we are esteeming christ that's what it's all about adoring him loving him lifting him high with our voices with our songs whether they be hymns whether they be spiritual songs even if we go back and sing the psalms of the old testament may it be that which will stir our affection for him and lift his name high so that we can follow in colossians 3:15 let the peace of christ Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and then the attitude of the worshiper, and be thankful. So how will we finish today? We're actually going to close up this morning sharing a couple of Isaac Watts hymns. A man who sacrificed his own health for the sake of the church having some new songs to sing to the Lord. He endured great controversy, great slander, great persecution 
to write these songs that have spurred generations on to loving Christ better and knowing Him more because they're so scriptural. And while you may not ever understand every word that we're about to sing together, I pray that it would drive you back into the Word of God, that you might find an Ebenezer, that you might find a cornerstone for your faith that will make it more firm than it was when you came in the door. And if nothing else, Zephaniah 3.17 reminds us of why we sing. Here's why we sing, church. We sing because the Lord our God is in our midst. We sing because He is the mighty one who will save. We sing because He has promised to rejoice over us with gladness. We sing because He is the one who quiets us by His love. The roar and the din of this world is quieted by the love of God. In the midst of that quiet, we sing because our God is the one who exults over us with loud singing. I want you to understand this morning that no matter how loud you belt it out, the Lord God Almighty is the loudest voice in the room. And we join in His song. We join in with myriads of angels who are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. We join in the song that never ends. We bring new songs into the mix that lift high the name of Jesus. And we sing because our God loves singing. And because we love Him.